Good morning, hope you are well, and welcome to a special edition of Work Human Radio. I'm your host, Mike Wood. Throughout the years, through our Work Human Live event and our content, we've created an extensive community of resources, and it's our goal during this pandemic to bring those resources to you. So daily, we've been interviewing people in that community. And today, Steve Pemberton, our CHRO, will be speaking to Kevin Martin. He's the Chief Research Officer at the Institute for Corporate Productivity about how we can remain human in a time like this, um, the importance of creating moments that matter with with employees, and to keep an emphasis on a human culture that keeps employees engaged and helps them weather difficult times. So here's Steve's interview with Kevin Martin, and please take care of each other. Hi, everybody. I'm Steve Pemberton, Chief Human Resources Officer at Work Human. And today, for our Keeping Work Human series, I'm here with Kevin Martin, the Chief Research Officer at the Institute for Corporate Productivity, otherwise known as I4CP. They're a leading research firm focused on discovering the people practices that drive high performance. So Kevin, thanks for joining us today. How are you? Uh, Steve, I am I am the new normal, man. I am I'm hanging in there every day, right? Every day it's a different answer, but try to remain positive and, uh, um, you know, uh, doing as well as I can. Thanks for asking. How are you? Uh, the same, you know, adjusting to a new, a new normal, um, you know, and, and we're all balancing a multiplicity of things, you know, professionally and personally at the same time. Right. I'm not sure the word unprecedented has been used as often as it has been in the last couple of weeks. Um, and uh, that's certainly true for a lot of HR leaders as well. You know, they're, they're facing quite literally uh, uh, everything on, on the fly. And that's part of the reason that we're so very much looking forward to talking to you because in a lot of ways, particularly, you know, your focus on agility, for example, uh, often these things that have seemed to be optional now, you know, they're right in front of us. Uh, but I also know that you've been on the phone for, you know, the last, um, you know, the last uh, couple of weeks or so, uh, talking with a lot of HR leaders. What are you seeing, you know, out there uh, in the way of reaction and response? Uh, Steve, I, I think the fair assessment is, um, a desire to, you know, a, a, a desire to want to continue to learn from others. There's no playbook for this, right? And so what I think is such a great testimony to these HR leaders, and, uh, you know, I was just on a phone call yesterday with uh, a large group from the Midwest. I was on a call last Friday with a group around the world of chief HR officer leaders. I'll be doing the same this Friday. It, it, it's a testimony to me where people take time out of their day. We know for a fact, for instance, based on our own research of this group, that a, the, a vast majority of them are spending a vast majority of their day, if not all their day, attending to issues related to COVID-19. So this is all consuming. It's omnipresent for them, right? But it's a testimony that they take time out to actually share. Um, Everyone recognizes that there is no playbook, so they're trying to learn from each other. They're trying to do what's right, which is what, what I think is really impressive is we're seeing a really holistic look by these heads of HR to say, you know what, we've got we've to be able to see through this a little bit longer term. And we know that decisions we're making now um, are going to not just have ramifications for just the health of our business now, but they're looking much broader 
you know, into the community, into their stakeholders. Um, I don't, I don't, I don't mean to sound too general with my answer there, but it's, I think it's, it's, it's a take it by day by day approach that people are trying to do the best thing for their businesses and, and their stakeholders. Yeah. You, 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 you make an important point in terms of the stages. This is not going to be a matter of, you know, the fire alarm that sends us all out of the building, the fire department comes, checks everything's out, checks everything out, make sure there's no danger. And then we all kind of go back in. That's not what this is going to look like um, because of the varying stages. Uh, and so when, when you rightly point out that there's also going to have to be a series of protocols, policies um, for re the return to work that's going to be uh, as laborious, if I can use that word, um, as you know, dealing with the initial reaction. How do we keep people active, working? How do we look out for their mental health? Like, what are the protocols in place in the event of a positive test? And all those are things that I'm, I'm dealing with with, with my own team. Uh, and, and that is, um, I think that's the other shift that a lot of leaders are gonna have to make, is realize, no, this is, this is gonna be with you for, for a long period of time. Are, are you seeing a recognition, uh, you know, uh, of that of that reality? Uh, and then the second uh, question is based on the research, you know, that that you've been doing on this, which is real time. That's greatly uh, appreciated. Mm -hmm. uh, what what is I4CP's most recent research showing on 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 how this is being uh, dealt with? Yeah. So to answer your first question, Steve, I think, you know, one of the data points we collected, uh, I think it was last, last week or so was, you know, what percentage, uh, or, or when you think about your company's response um, uh, regarding social distancing, office closures, et cetera, how far out have you planned? You know, we gave a variety of answer selections, but the majority of people said it's just, it, it's something we're taking day by day right now. It's, you know, they've got, they, you can't do too much planning forward right now because there's so many ebbs and flows and they're, they're trying to do what's right for their business in that regard. Um, but you also highlight something and we can always follow back with this later on that I think is incredibly important that organizations have got to keep in mind, which is, you know, one of the telltale signs of an, of an organization that is really agile. And I don't mean agile like large A meaning agile methodology. I mean, agile small A, which is from our vernacular, it's the ability to anticipate, adapt, and act on change, the three A's of organizational agility. But if you think about one of the telltale signs of an organization, especially a high performance organization that is highly agile, is they are so tuned in to sensing the external environment and sensing disturbance and actually planning for that. And it reminds me, I'll just, I'll just mention this because this, I think is a fascinating example, Steve, of real time. Um, a few weeks ago, uh, my boss, our CEO was in New York, in New York City, meeting with the head of HR for a major media firm. And on the spot, they were, there was news media that were trying to report, that was reporting on an internal memo that got leaked out. Um, and so they were reacting to that. Basically, they realized that this was going to be something that was either going to be very real, they didn't know several weeks ago, going to be very real from a pandemic standpoint, or at least from a perception of reality being pushed out there in the news. 
certain things about the firm, but they had to do, they had to be, they had to plan for something that was going to be vastly more different or extreme than they anticipated. So they actually started planning for what if this does become a pandemic? What if they shut down New York City from business? Now we're a media firm that requires people to come into our studios for whatever it might be. What are we going to do? And they started putting in that scenario planning. So when Governor Cuomo just a few days ago enacted the shutdown in New York businesses or within the week or so, they told us that they were able to, within three days, be up and ready operationally from a work at home situation of not limited disruption to the media business versus what it would have been before. And so that, that planning for the unanticipated is going to be vastly more important. Mm. Um, let me just get your reaction to that before I give you some of what we're seeing out there just from our research that I think might be interesting to your audience. There's going to be a whole series of languages and behaviors that are going to emerge out of this as often happens after a major crisis. Scenario, scenario planning is going to be chief amongst them. Um, and we're seeing, particularly because of what's unfolded, at least in terms of government response, uh, the inability to anticipate. And we should be clear about something that it wasn't as if the idea of the possibility of a pandemic uh, is, wasn't new. Because within our generational DNA is um, pandemics, H1N1, SARS, Zika, Ebola. I mean, the possibility, you know, we're not talking about, uh, a, you know, a, a once in a lifetime an asteroid hurtling towards Earth scenario. We had seen this before. And the it's sometimes the stubbornness, uh, the unwillingness to plan uh, for that scenario. Uh, and then I think for organizations and for HR leaders, they could they should readily expect that there's now going to be sitting at, at the executive table and saying, okay, in the event of scenario A, what is the people plan? Uh, should this happen? What is the other plan in the event that you now uh, have this scenario unfold? And that's going to uh, hold cascading effect. How are you going to handle talent reviews in that scenario? How are you going to handle recruiting? How are you going to handle onboarding? And, and you now have to plan for, for this as a, as, a, as a real possibility. I'm not sure uh, that we've always been attentive you know, to that. In fact, we look at ways to say, well, that's not going to happen. <laughs> well, now the, the unimaginable is no longer that. Right on. And, 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 and thanks to your point, Steve, they, they happen at such an accelerated rate for, for myriad reasons now. Um, but uh, let me share with you a couple of uh, data points that I think are really fascinating. We've been, well, I think we've put out no less than like seven surveys um, related to COVID-19 just the last uh, four or five weeks. And we have two going on right now. Um, but one of them, if I look at, one of the questions that we found most fascinating was back in the middle of February, so just five weeks ago, when we asked companies, to what extent, uh, or, or, or are you, to what extent are you suffering some, some form of uh, productivity issues at your firm related to COVID-19? Only 39% of firms said that they were to some degree experiencing some level of productivity loss. 
But just last week when we ran that same question, it was 96% of firms. And when we delve into the answers, because we asked it on a five-point Likert scale, so we can look and say, is it hardly any or is it really a lot? The, the high to very high extent of productivity increased, those that answered that increased by sevenfold just in that five-week period. And so, you know, things are happening quickly. Here's another data point, and I'll share with you my reaction. I'd love to get your reaction on this. Um, prior to COVID-19, this is a survey we just closed yesterday. We're actually going to be sharing this data on a, on a webinar we're doing tomorrow. Um, and the webinar is around like virtual leadership, remote teams, et cetera. But prior to COVID-19, 73% of organizations that we surveyed indicated that less than 25% of their workforce actually worked from home. But as of last week, since COVID-19 really hit in, the exact inverse has happened. So now um, about three quarters of organizations are telling us that at least 50% of their workforce is working from home. And so... When we ask the question of what is your organization doing to bridge this isolation divide? Because now you've got people who are used to working together, you know, and now you've got social distancing, which is hopefully going to work and, and, and quell the, the, the spread of this. Um, but with all that social distancing, what are you doing to bridge that isolation divide? And, and 60% of organizations are, are using video. That's the prominent answer. We're using video in all of our calls. I was on a call yesterday with heads of HR that just one of them from a very prominent company said, our CEO is mandating every call internally starting tomorrow is used video-wise. And so, you know, video is on that on the rise. But this is what shocked me. 23% of the organizations in that survey, and it was, you know, we had over 650 respondents uh, to that little pulse survey, 23% indicated their organization's doing nothing to bridge that, uh, that digital divide. And, and I, am, I, I put forth in a blog post I wrote recently that I, I really believe that, um, I hate to say it, like the silent victim of COVID-19 is really going to be that feeling of isolation, uh, which has a, a tremendous impact on overall well-being for the worker. And um, companies have got to be looking at ways to bridge that isolation divide. You know, we, uh, I literally just completed a call with uh, our people leaders across the company, about 150 people in we're talking about exactly this. I, I was sharing with them um, that um, in that spirit of agility, that intersection between efficiency uh, and agility and productivity in that concentric circle, which I would argue has always existed, is now getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, and so you, you're not really in a position of being unable to do nothing you know, about that because now, uh, at least in our workforce, 100% of our, of our Employees are working uh, from from home, or ninety nine point five percent are, because of government decrees uh, in uh, the uh, countries uh, uh, and or states uh, of of where the majority of our people are. So it's forced, you know, now upon you. But then you get back up to cruising altitude for a minute, um, and you know, accept the fact two things: one that you know, innovation and efficiency can actually be enabled by this new way of, of connecting. And what we're, and you know, I saw how the media immediately and understandably so uh, had to pound across to us the importance of social distancing. 
but that's not really what it is. It's more like physical distancing. But you and I are physically distant from one another, but we are socially connected through technology. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so in a time when responsiveness is needed and has to be accelerated, um, you know, video uh, is a way for us to do that. And to me, the broader point is that that was the, the case independent of COVID-19, that you can actually achieve greater efficiencies. And so this reality is, wait a minute, this person rather than having an hour-long commute every single day of the week would be much more efficient and effective if they could just wake up, walk 10 feet away, you know, to their desk. Uh, and, you know, certainly for anyone who's concerned about, the, you know, the cost benefit of doing so, well, oh my. Uh, and so I, I think we're now seeing that. I'm certainly seeing that, you know, with us too. I think the other point to that too, Kevin, is that it means you have to shift your mindset. Look, you're going to be comfortable with the fact that pets are going to be walking past the screen and a young child's going to want to sit on the lap. But, how is that any different than, um, you know, a day in the life of bring your kids to work? You know, how is that any different? It's not any different. Uh, and overarching philosophy of, well, we want our employees to get the best out of them. We want them to bring their whole selves to work. Well, now, now you got it. Now you have the opportunity, right, to do exactly that. So rather than these things being kind of, you know, antithetical to one another, they're actually, to me, coterminous. Uh, and lastly, I do think it creates greater uh, loyalty, greater connection, uh, greater productivity, all those, you know, operational business side things, of course. Uh, but it has a direct impact on recruiting. It has a direct impact on retention. The, these aren't enemies, but, but, but they're more uh, drivers of one another. Yeah, I, love, I love what you just brought up about the mindset piece, Steve. Um, I mean, we, we've seen that come up time and time again. Uh, I'll reference what we found in our org agility research in just a moment, but we did a massive study last year. I mean, this is over 6,000 organizations. We collected survey data from on culture change. And, you know, the, the mindset piece around leaders being able to, to get their minds wrapped around wanting to lead the new change, what that new change looked like was instrumental in, in determining whether that culture change took root or not. But, you know, I go back to org agility. You know, one of the, one of the key things that we found um, from an organizational agility standpoint was, let alone the practices, there's certain practices that really denote, like sensing disturbance, if you would, through scenario planning, et cetera. But the mindset component came up big time. And in fact, what we found from that research was that, like, um, I don't have the exact stats, but I'll, these are within a good margin, of, uh, a decent margin of error here. But it was along the lines of we knew that at high performance organizations, those that were highly agile, the mindset of their workforce was one where change was expected and manageable. In fact, not only did they appreciate change, but they used change. They looked at change as an opportunity to disrupt themselves. And in low-performance organizations, those that weren't performing all that well over the last five years of growth, and, and those that weren't highly agile, they were low in agility. What we found is that the collective mindset of the workforce we surmised as more of um, feeling threatened by change, um, uh, viewing change just in, in general as bad for business. So, yeah, this is this new normal that we're all talking about 
is really important to understand the mindset shift needed. And I would posit that something that any leader can do um, when they're working more remotely like this, I mean, look at the whole psychological safety piece, which fits into that as well, is show your fallibility, right? You know, I, uh, I'll get on a video call and I haven't shaved. I'll get on a video call. And the other day I had my nine-year-old, you know, come in here and I just said, hey, JJ, come here, say hi to everybody. And he waved and said hi and took off. But that's just, that's just how it is and humanizing. And I think that's a big piece of it. Yeah, you know, I, I think the um, the opportunity that it creates for all of us to do exactly that, you know, bring that that degree of humanity yeah, and connectivity uh, is, um, you know, it is an opportunity actually in many ways for us to do exactly what we've always promised that the profession of HR does. Um, and we, while we don't care for the circumstances that it's now actually been kind of forced on us, you know, the reality, of course, is that it is not in front of you. Uh, and, and I've seen that too, Kevin, this, which always, is always a curious thing you know, to me, is that we are aware, generally speaking, that you know, we're, we're in a time of enormous COVID-19. Changes always happen. If that weren't the case, we'd be chasing dinosaurs still, right? So there's nothing new about change. But what is different is the pace of change. And so I'm always struck by the just flat-out resistance to the fact that um, there is change. And the way I've, I've come to think of it, and it kind of arms me to always be active and, and proactive, um, even as this was unfolding, you know, from a people standpoint within our own company. And early on, because I was following what was unfolding in China, and I could see, wow, the, the, the resistance, the unwillingness to embrace early on what was happening. And the way I would describe for a lot of organizations is that our organization, our successes, uh, whether you're a household brand that's been around for 100 years or you're uh, an internet brand that's just emerged but highly visible and understood, and that's your house. Your brand is your house. And you sit there strong, many floors, people buzzing, moving, eminently powerful and strong. Well, what in the world would a house that strong, what could disturb that? What could disrupt it? What could disrupt it is the land on which the house is sitting. Mm -hmm. So agility to me is necessary, not because of your house per se, but because the land on which it sits over which you have no control shifts and changes. So, you know, I've been fascinated by your research and watch it from a distance. And part of me is always struck by, well, damn, isn't this obvious? But clearly, Clearly, it's not. Otherwise, you wouldn't be focused as much on it as, as you are and have so many people flocking to you. Uh, it's fascinating to me. Steve, it's interesting. Three years ago, um, we made a purposeful shift, not a shift in our research agenda, but it was very, very clear exactly what you just said, right? I mean, remember 10, 20 years ago, the whole term VUCA, right? We're in a VUCA environment and this and that, and it became such an overused buzzword. But the reality is um, that we now operate in an era of, um, it, it's no longer, and we wrote something about this, frankly, and what, what we wrote was, it's no longer about managing change. It's about the ability to manage in change. And you know, we are operating in this environment of continuous disruption. And, and, and there are certain things that organizations have got to um, create. They've got to build the muscle around 
from both a mindset as well as a practice and a structure standpoint in order to enable uh, the organizations to manage in change. And, 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 I'll, and I'll, I just wanted to mention this. You know, I think you know, I was asked this the other day uh, by several chief HR officers and on a call that I was uh, leading. And, and we were talking about, let's look at the new normal. We've got us, we can't lose the forest through the trees here. If we start thinking about where things are going next, what would be your advice? I mean, they just kind of threw me in the spot and said, hey, you know, what's your advice to us? Where should we be thinking? And, and I alluded to this in the blog I wrote last week, but I, I, I just mentioned this. I said, you know, one of the telltale signs of, a, of an organization that's truly agile is what we call talent fluidity. In other words, what they've done is they've created the mechanisms um, that allow for the borderless, seamless flow of information and talent not just within enterprise walls, but they go beyond it. They go into their trusted system of, uh, of partners. And, and when you think about, like, think now, there's headlines just today and yesterday of companies that are, hey, we're going to be hiring hundreds of thousands of workers right now. And there's others that are saying, we're firing. We're going to have to lay off many, many workers. And, and some companies are saying, this is great. Hey, if you work at this company, you're going to be laid off. We've got a place for you. That's wonderful. We want, we want continuity and people's pay to go, et cetera. The problem with that, in essence, is, is that's reactive. Where, where these organizations need to start thinking about and planning is around how do I create the mechanisms that allow me to, I first need to have a, a full understanding of what skills and capabilities do we have versus what we're going to need in different scenarios, right? And, and where can I find those within the enterprise walls, outside the enterprise walls, into my trusted partners? How can I create the upskill, reskill type programs that allow people to, you know, think about adjacencies. Think about, there's, there's a firm out there, I will not name it, we're just about to publish a, a blog post on them. But they were looking and saying, we have AI as a major disruptor. Um, to our business, but we want it to disrupt in a very positive way. There's not enough of the AI skills that we're going to need given the competitive landscape out there, but what roles within our firm need to leverage a little bit of that, that have enough knowledge where if we just tweaked what they do a little bit more, they have enough where they can fill in what we need until the, like academia and the university system catches up to producing what's needed out there as well. And that is that type of mindset of being able to say, what does our partner system eco or partner ecosystem look like? How can, how can I, Steve, partner with you to say, you know what, in, in areas of need, where can we cross train? How can we get different exposure to people where we're not competing head on, but where we might be able to share, borrow, rent talent in time of need to flex up, to flex down? Where can I, pull from different adjacency positions where if a group of my people in a certain geography or for whatever reason, now they're unable to perform work, where can I have those that can come in with just a little bit of tweaking or modification to actually fill that gap a little bit as well? That, that whole piece of talent fluidity um, and looking at the talent ecosystem in a whole different way is got to be something, excuse me, I'll, I'll say this is going to separate those um, that are able to move and be much more spontaneous going forward than not. Think in terms of capability, capacity, and agility. What do you need to do? That, Kevin, that's a great point. I, I think when 
the, the pulse analysis of this response is done, that is how the world is going to look uh, in, in terms of our assessment of who was prepared and, and, and who was not. Uh, you know, leadership, as always, is going to be a part of that. Uh, but um, you do have a lot of fantastic leaders, of course, who have not been focused on talent fluidity. Uh, and so they, even though they wanted to, and as leaders, they were ready to, they just, they did not create the capacity. But you're also, it seems to me, making a uh, implied endorsement for flattening hierarchies, because it seems to me be very difficult to achieve that kind of fluidity uh, if you have this kind of, well, I have, this is this is legal and this is what we do and this is all that we do in marketing and IT and sales and HR. It, it sounds to me as if you're saying, listen, a lot of that's going to have to break apart um, so that we can, in some cases, buy the time to catch up to the market or the market catch up to us. I, I, am I hearing that um, correctly? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I, I don't know if I'm endorsing it. It is happening right now in business, right? I mean, we know, you know, one of the one of the findings from our research on org agility was having nimble structures, nimble organizations, nimble structures, and having empowered, self-directed, cross-functional work teams um, is incredibly important. And the new normal, you know, we we saw this with research we did on leadership. Uh, global leadership effectiveness. This is several years ago, but one of the key findings coming out of that was the whole definition of leader has changed. It's much more around influence and collaboration and network creation than it is ever about anything else right now. It's, it's not about the hierarchy. So yeah, I think a lot of companies right now, they're, they're removing those layers because they're trying to, you know, part of agility is being able to execute um, or it's being able to, to, to allocate your resources at the point of execution, right? And you don't have to be agile everywhere. That's a big mistake. You need to ask yourself, where, where are we going to be agile, right? And then you look and say, where does it make sense to support that from a structural standpoint? How does that look? Um, so yes, that's a piece of it. And what I would say, Steve, is going back to, you know, you brought up the leadership piece. I 100% agree. And and I'll just say, you know, two years ago at, at your conference at Work Human, um, I was invited to give a talk on what what the title of the talk was Boundaryless Leadership. And um, it was such a fun opportunity to share that with your audience because the audience was a fun audience. I'll say that. But they um, what was the reason we chose that is that was one of the findings from our agility research. Agile organizations require agile leaders. And what we found is those leaders have to be boundaryless. They have to be able to break through four different types of barriers. And those barriers speak to what you're talking about. It's, it's that, you know, it, it's the mindset piece, it's the skill set piece, you name it. Yeah. Well, Kevin, I can't thank you enough for, for this conversation. Uh, we, we, we could keep going uh, of that, I, I have uh, no, no doubt. And, and, you know, I think all the work uh, in particular that you've done on agility, prior to COVID-19 is so applicable uh, now. Uh, so we, uh, we we certainly want to encourage our audience um, uh, to uh, to do a little bit more homework on, on your research, but I think they'll find a lot of, um, a lot of answers to the questions that, uh, that they actually have. Uh, let me end on, on a more personal note. Tell me what's going on in the family. I heard you mention uh, your daughter, who I, I'm assuming is home from school now. Is that, uh, is that the case? What's going on there? Steve, I've got three boys. 
And I've got, um, I've got a nine-year-old, a 13-year-old, and a 15-year-old. So they're all grade school, middle school, high school. They're all home. Um, but it, you probably heard the nine-year-old in the background. I apologize to the audio folks here, but that's the new normal. At least that's the normal of the Martin household um, when, when we're around, and that's our new normal. But I, I'll say this. I want to give a shout-out. I'm telling you, at the end of the day, I think the, the unsung heroes – of, of getting us through this are going to be the teachers. I cannot tell you in our town that I live in, I live in Westboro, Massachusetts, the, the, the way the teachers in each of these schools that my kids are in have responded with, um, you know, video classes, online curriculum, check-in, stuff like that. It goes way beyond anything that we were expecting, we were certainly hopeful of. Um, so just a plug for the teachers out there that are, that are really helping keep everything going as fluid as possible. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, the same sentiment here. I'm a, I'm in Illinois, um, mine a little bit older, uh, two in high school, one in college and they're in varying stages of spring break. Uh, and, uh, and uh but, uh, it is this, uh, it's this recalibration of society, Kevin. Uh, you know, I, I think we have been lost. Um, uh, as a species in the worlds of discord and dissonance. And part of that has been, to be candid, you know, looking past uh, the teacher, uh, the mailman, the nurse, um, the hourly retail worker. But they're the mortar of society. Uh, and while we are seeing varying states of conflict on response and and, and these folks, it's not what they're doing. You know, they're, they're getting up and doing what Americans uh, do and what global citizens do. They, they put one foot in front of the other. Uh, and I, I find that not just what they do, but their way of leading in their way is particularly instructive for a lot of, you know, so-called leaders that are often above us. The number of times I've thought, like, well, I think we should just, you know, perfectly honest, like, let's just... Teachers run things for a while. Like, run, just run everything. You know, just let them run everything. And I'm willing to bet we'll get a lot of cases. That's occurred to me on more than one occasion. So, thanks again, Kevin, for joining us. And uh, our best uh, to you. And three boys, did you say? Three boys. Three boys. Uh, and any squabbles going on yet? Or is it uh, things, uh, <laughs> all of that, that expression? Yeah, yeah, you, you know how that goes, Steve. That I do. <laughs> I do. I'll get some tips from you, or I can give them to you. I would like tips. Yes. So it's still squabbling. <laughs> All right, Kevin. We'll talk to you soon. All right. It's a pleasure. Thanks, Steve. Thanks, everyone. Take care. So thanks for joining us today and my guest, Kevin Martin. And we hope that you'll continue to join us as we connect, reflect, and learn something new about what it means to work human. For a deeper dive into content to help you through the days and the weeks ahead, please visit workhuman.com. And if you have a question or a comment about the series, you can always reach me directly by email at steve at workhuman.com. We'll see you again tomorrow.